0: I know that you've been on a journey these past few weeks um, on what it means to, to be uh, in small groups about Christian growth and what it means to grow and be, become mature in your faith. and. And so uh, and, and before we get into to our, our text today I, I want to make a quick disclaimer. I know a, a couple of weeks ago um, brother Craig told you guys uh, that when you're going through this series, the one thing that you need to do right is to kind of look into a and look into a mirror right what you're what you're seeing and what you're hearing is is not really to be cast upon or to look out to everybody else but to, to to, to see that you're looking in a mirror and, and reflecting upon yourself. And so I, I want to share a, a pastor story with you. And so what that means is it's mostly true since it's a pastor story. And so I, I, I want to share this and, and kind of help you reflect on that, right? And it's about this lady who was, who was uh, looking out her window one day. And, and you've probably heard this story before. And so if you have, just laugh anyways when you get to the end. Um, and so here she, she was looking out her window and she saw her neighbor. And her neighbor was out hanging up laundry out on the clothesline, right? She was washing all of her bed sheets and all of her clothes. And she kept looking. And, and week after week she watched this lady go out and, and hang up her clothes. And, and every week she would look at her and she'd say, oh, bless her heart. Nobody's ever taught her how to do laundry because her laundry's so dirty. And so she, she would look and the next, next time she'd come out and she would see and she'd hang it up. And she's like, oh, she still doesn't have it right. I mean, somebody should really show her how to do laundry. It's, I mean, it's just, they're just, it's just filthy. And then finally one day she, 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 she goes and she says, oh, somebody's finally gone and, 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 and taught her how to do laundry. Her laundry's finally clean. Have you looked out the window and seen and He says, yeah, well, her husband says, yeah, actually, I cleaned the windows this week, right? And so here she thought this whole time that her neighbor had dirty laundry when in reality she just had dirty windows. And so sometimes when we come to messages like this and sometimes when we go through series like this that are sometimes a bit challenging, the temptation on our side is to stop and look and point our fingers and say, look at everybody else. That message is for them, right? We look out the windows and point the finger at them thinking this is for them. This is for everybody else. And we forget to realize that we have our own dirty windows. And so I know that as we go through this passage today, we're going to be in Romans chapter 12. So we're going to be in Romans chapter 12. We're going to be in verse nine. And so... So I want us to, to take a look at this, and, and we're going to look at this passage together, and we're going to go through 9 through, 20, 9 through 21. And uh, Pastor Craig told me he normally preaches about two hours, so I'm going to do my best to live up to his standards this morning, okay? Um. I'm definitely not getting the number of steps that Pastor Craig gets in across this stage. I've noticed there is a worn spot here as he goes across, more, but uh, I, I'll do my best to, to, to hold to um, your all's traditional time. Uh, Romans, 9 verses tw- or verse, or Romans 12, verses 9 through 21. And so what we're going to look at this morning, as we look at this text, I want you to look at and remember and think about, right, this is the the do's and don'ts of Christian love, right? Uh, The do's and don'ts of Christian love within community. And so let's read together from God's holy word. It says, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor, do not be To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you he will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome; be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's. Pray and go to the Lord in prayer together. Father God, Lord, I thank you for the opportunity that we have to go together today and worship through the preaching of your word. Father, I pray that as we go through this text, Lord, you help us to see it. Father, you help us to apply it to our lives. Father, help us to be changed by it so that when we leave this place, we are made to be more into your image. Father, may you be glorified. May your name be lifted high this morning. And it's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Sometimes when we go through a text like this, we have to understand what the context is. I always tell congregations when we go through the word of God, we want to understand the context in which the scripture is written and, and what the context of what we have here. And the only way to understand context is sometimes to understand what's happening before and after what is what is going in in the text that we have, uh, that we have selected for the day. Because if we just look at that text, sometimes what we find is that we take a text and we pull it out of context and we misapply it to our lives my favorite one to point out is Philippians 4:13. we pull that verse out all the time I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me which means I can shoot a basketball really well all right, that's not what Paul is talking about in that context. And so, what I want to do for you this morning is I want to I want you to I want to take a very quick short jaunt through the very first part of Romans chapter 12, there in verses 1 through 8, because what we see here in this part is the this idea that Paul has started is that he really wants the 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 people, the individuals that he's writing to there in Rome, to give their bodies and give their minds over to Christ, and he wants you to take those gifts, right, the 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 gifts that he has given you and to use them for the glory and for the edification and for the building up of God's kingdom. Right, if you go back and you look here at verses 1 through 8, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Right, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Paul goes on to later on, you skip down a few verses there, start down to verse 4, and he says, uh, He says, and for his. For as in one body we all have many members, and the members do not, members do not all have the same function. So, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. And then he goes on. He, lays out what those gifts are and he tells us how we're supposed to use these gifts right and so he comes through and he he gets to this point here in verses 9 through 21 and he says look this is how you're supposed to use these gifts if god has given you these gifts which he has then you need to use them in christian community you need to use them for the edification of the church that is the body of christ and so Paul goes on and he gives us this list of do's and don'ts, right, of how we're to use these gifts, how we're to live in community with one another and how we're to live in community with the world. A few months back, I was part of a training series that our that our uh, association that our network was able to put on for for all of our pastors and and all 107 churches that that we're a part of or that we support and that you support. And so we we brought this guy in. We were we his name is Mark Ganey. and Mark had written this book uh, about what it means to live in Christian discipleship. Right? What does it mean to be a disciple of Christ, and how can we as churches become better disciples Disciple makers. And this is what small groups is really about. This is about what it means to be engaged in small group. And he says, look, this is, this is how we do this. How do we do this better? This is what they should look like. This is the function that they serve within the church. And, and this is why they are important. And he, and he, he said as, a, as he goes around, he travels from place to place. One of the main questions he always gets is, how do you find somebody who makes a good disciple? Because right? that's a hard time. Sometimes you hear people all the time, well, I, I would like to disciple somebody. I would like to be engaged in discipleship. I would like to be a part of this. But, but how do we look for the right person? How do we find someone? Because sometimes when we look for someone, we have the wrong idea as to who we're looking for. Sometimes we look for the tough nut, right? Man, if I could just get this guy on board. Man, if I could just change his heart or her heart, if I could have them, man, they would make a great addition to the kingdom of God. And, and, and Mark gave the answer to this question, and, and it was kind of uh, hilarious because he was speaking to a, a room full of Baptist pastors and lay ministers and elders and deacons and stuff, and he looked at the room. And I'll be honest, a lot of them felt attacked when he gave this uh, answer. He looked at him. and he says, well, what you do is you look for fat people. You know, everybody kind of chuckled because, again, we were sitting around a big meal of Baptist pastors, and they were all, you know, like most Baptist pastors are. And so here we, he says, look, I, I know we're not talking about their outward appearance that we're actually looking for fat people. That's what you heard. What, what you're looking for is fat people, F-A-T, right? You, you're looking for fat people who are faithful, available, and teachable. And so I began to think about this. I mean, that really stuck with me. If we're looking for people, if we're looking for people that are fat, if we're looking for people who are faithful, available, and teachable, to to be a part, and if this is what, to to be disciples of Christ, what's the opposite of that? Right? What, what What does it mean if they're faithful, if they're not faithful, available, and teachable? And so I, took his acronym and I transformed it and made it into lean. Well, somebody who's the opposite of fat is somebody who's lean. They're lethargic, they're excuse-filled, they're arrogant, and they're numb to sin. And so, what I want to do for you today is I want to I want to take this this the, these two acronyms of fat and, and lean, and I, I want to lean into this, this 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 text here that we have, and how does how does how does this apply it to 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 a fat life and a lean life? How, how do we take this and? How do we take this list of do's and don'ts, right, that, that Paul has given to the to the body of Christ, that ha- how we're to follow as Christian, and how do they fit into these categories? How do people use the gifts that God has given them for the edification of the church? And so let's look at what Paul has done here in the very beginning. Let's look at the first category of faithful. Faithful. He says in verse 9. He says, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. The the CSB translation, if you go and you look at the Christian Standard Bible, says let love be without hypocrisy, detest what is evil, cling to what is good. A faithful Christian loves without hypocrisy. A faithful Christian loves without hypocrisy and detests what is evil and he clings to what is good. They are faithful in obeying God's word. Right? They are faithful in obeying the commands that they find uh, that, that they find within Scripture. They stay away from what is sinful, and they hold on to what is good. And, and, and so what we see when we come to looking for someone or when we are to engage in Christian community, when we are to be good, faithful Christians, right, we, we detest what is evil and cling to what is good. A lot of times we hear people often say that the reason that they don't want to go to church is because of what? I don't want to go that place. It's full of all the hypocrites. Uh, You know, and and sometimes I say, well, look, I understand. Like there are Christians who do a lot of things that are absolutely against God's word. We know this. You know this. And, And yet sometimes most generally when you go to church, what you find is that the people who know that they are doing things against God's word are there because they know they're doing things against God's word. And they're trying to become more like Christ. And so what may look like hypocrisy to you is really a bunch of sick, broken people trying to get better and become more like Christ. Sometimes we see people who are absolutely hypocrites because they begin to choose what parts of the Bible they want to believe. See, they they forget that it is God's holy, inspired, inerrant word of God. Right. They, they forget that it is absolutely God's word. And so that what they come to is they say, well, look, I understand that this is what God's word says, but this is really, I don't really agree with that part. I don't think I'm going to listen to that part. I think that part is kind of old-fashioned. I think that part was written 2,000 years ago, and they don't think it. I don't think that applies to us today. And and so what we find is that if the people outside say, "Well, if you really believe that is the word of God that has been handed down to you, that it is that it is absolutely true, it's how you live your life," then how can you say, "I don't believe that"? And so we look hypocritical. Right, when we decide that we want to to go through certain parts and, and only live out the parts that, that that we like or that we understand, it's it's hypocritical for us. And what we're really doing is we're looking at God and we're saying, God, I know better than you. God, God I God, I I believe you're God. I believe you're all powerful. I believe you created the world. I believe you're in control of all things. All right, I God, I believe that, that you are absolutely God, but. I think I know better than you when it comes to Scripture. Last time, you know, we saw that, or if you look at Scripture, you look, right, what what happened with with Adam and Eve, right? God comes and tells them, look, hey, do not eat of the tree that's in the garden. And then Eve turns around, and Eve decides and goes, and Adam was right there with her, and they say, well, look, and Satan tempts them and says, did God really say? And Eve and Adam both say that, well, I think I know what's better for my life and so therefore I'm going to eat of the fruit. And guess what happened, right? Sin came into the world that we see the fall that's going on there and then all of a sudden they're in a world that is fallen and broken. Church, if we say that we believe and that we trust God, then we should follow what God has to say in his scriptures, in his holy word. And a faithful Christian will put God's holy God's holy word above his own desires and conforms his life to God's word and not God's word to his life. Paul continues on; he tells them, "Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord." A faithful Christian is a is a Christian who is faithful in serving the Lord. They are not lethargic or lazy. There are numerous ways I step back and I look and people say, well, how can I serve the Lord? I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. I'm not sure what are the things that I can be doing or things that I should be engaged in. And I say, well, look, if you're part of a local body of, church, uh, local body of believers, if you're part of a church, there's many ways you can serve. There's many ways that you can be engaged. There are numerous ways. There are prayer groups that you have. There are discipleship groups, which I'm... I'm grateful that that is one of the things that you are making an emphasis because that is how we grow in our faith. That is how we grow as Christians. That is how we grow within our community. That is how we impact our community. That is how we help other people come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. But there are, all, there are all kinds of ways. There are prayer groups, there's, uh, there's teaching, there's Sunday school teachers, there's pastors, there's, there's preaching, there's evangelistic uh, opportunities, there's giving of our tithes and offerings, there's running the, the church Facebook page, there's running the church Instagram, there's running the church live stream, there's putting together the PowerPoints and, and all the things. There's all kinds of ways that you can serve and be a part and you can do it and do it well. God loves to see us to come and put all of our work and our efforts and not to be lazy in it. There was a reason why they brought together all the most skilled craftsmen when they were going to build the temple in the Old Testament. They didn't say, ah, just put up a few sheets and a few things over here. Let's just do whatever, just do the best you can. No, they brought together and they did it with excellence. And so God does not want us to be lazy in how we serve or how we study our Bible or how we teach others. He doesn't want to see us to go on and just put the minimal effort in. He wants to see us to continue to, to grow and to be to be engaged in His Word. You can run the copy machine. You can change the light bulbs. You can be as Pastor Craig said a couple of weeks ago, make sure that the toilet paper is coming over the top. <laughs> right? Like there there's all kinds of ways that you can be engaged in the life of your church and that you can be that you can be serving the Lord. You know, I was visiting a church as I get to do uh, from time to time. I I spend a couple of Sundays a month in my home church and then I get to go out a couple of Sundays and and either just visit or get to preach. And and I was actually visiting a church and they had, service had just finished and and I was putting my stuff together and getting ready to leave. And I heard two people conversing back and forth and one of them had been serving down in the children's ministry. And the other one said, hey, I hadn't seen you in a while. Where you been? What's going on? And she's like, oh, I've been serving down in the children's ministry. And the lady's like, oh, that's great. Yeah, I could never do that. I'm like, Okay, well, my ears perk up a little bit. I'm like, okay, let's listen to this conversation. And she's like, yeah, I could never do that. Like, oh, man, all them kids down there screaming and crying and going on and doing all these other kinds of things. You know, so like, like I have, like, yeah, I ain't doing that. And them all kids are all heathens down there yeah most kids are and yet you could also see at the same time the lady's like yeah well yeah there's a lot of kids down there there's, there there's a lot of people that you know we we got a lot of work to do and you could just see the, the almost or feel the the tension there All right this lady who had been in church week in, week out, serving down in the children's ministry, obviously needed a break and obviously was grateful to be up in the service that day, but then had somebody tell her that all of a sudden that she just couldn't serve the kids when obviously there was a need down there. You know, the interesting thing is, is through all the reasons that she gave why she couldn't serve. Had nothing to do with her skill set, had nothing to do with an allergy, you know. She was allergic, just allergic to kids. (laughs) But there was nothing right, there was nothing really that was wrong. She just she just didn't want to do it. It was all about a desire. No physical limitations. There there was nothing that, 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 that there could be. And so she was really just excuse filled. Oh, I can't do that. Oh, I can't be a part of this. Oh, I can't do these things. Oh, there's nothing else that I could happen. And so sometimes we find ourselves, instead of being good, faithful Christians who serve and serve well, we find ourselves finding all kinds of excuses as to why we can't serve. Verse 12 tells us that we're to rejoice in hope, to be patient in tribulation, to be consistent in prayer. As you go back and you think, well, what does that look like in the life of a faithful, available, teachable uh, 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 Christian? If you look at a fat Christian, a, a fat Christian is faithful in prayer. I want to ask you this question. When things get tough, what does your life look like? Right? Are you faithful and are you consistent in prayer? Right? What is? Let me press in a little bit further. Do you Pray only when things are going bad. Do you pray when things are only uh, difficult in your life? Or do you pray when times are good? Do you pray when everything is fine? Do you pray without ceasing? What motivates you to pray? A fat person prays when the times are good and when the times are bad. A lean person just prays. Or is just arrogant enough to think that prayer is only necessary when things are bad? Or that prayer is not necessary when things are good? Right? A, a, a lean person or an arrogant person just thinks that, well, you know, things are okay, things are fi- fine, and, 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 and I don't need to pray. Well, they say they may believe that God knows all things there's a control on things. Their actions really say think otherwise. Sometimes people who who think that they only need to pray when things are going bad, really what they say is, what they're saying is, I, I need to get um, I need to get God's attention again. Like, like, God, I'm only going to pray when things are bad because you must have forgotten me, right? You, you know, like, I, I, need to, I need to do something. to I need to get down on my knees or I need to lay prostrate on the floor. Or I need to jump up and down and wave my hands because for some reason, God, during this, this time of, uh, the, 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 of this season of my life, you must have forgotten what was going on and you don't know what's happening. So, Lord, I must pray and pray loud and pray often and, and just so that I can somehow get back into your, your, your good graces. Church, here's the thing that you need to understand about God when it comes is God has not forgotten you. Here, right, God is, God is not ignorant of your trials. He's not ignorant of your tribulations. God knows exactly what's going on in your life. He knows when you've had your cancer diagnosis. He knows when you've had a heart attack. He knows when you've, when, when, when you've had arthritis issues. He knows when you've had a stroke. He knows everything that's going on to your life. He knows the number of hairs that are on your head. And so it's arrogant to think that for some reason I need to do something to get God's attention because God is intimately involved in your life every single day. Every day. And so we should be praying when times are good and we should be praying when times are bad. God knows when you rise up. He knows when you sit down. Look at what the psalmist says in Psalm 139. He says, you know, when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. He then goes on to say in verse 13, he says, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's wombs. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret. Integrally woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Church, God knows exactly what's going on in your life. He is not surprised by anything that needs to happen. And you do not have to do something to get His attention. You do not have to jump up and down. You do not necessarily have to lay prostrate on the floor. You don't always have to hit your knees. But God desires for you to pray and be in communication with him always. We also see that a faithful person, if you look at verse 14, a faithful person blesses those who persecutes them and does not curse them. Bless those who persecute, bless and do not curse them. Why does a faithful person begin to bless? Why does a faithful person, when, when bad things go that way, when people start giving you hard times in your life, when, when there's all kinds of issues going on, when you get all these bad things, why, why do they bless? Because, because they know God's in control right they they're like joseph in this regard That like when when his brothers sold him into slavery right what did joseph come back and tell his brothers when they came before him and stood stood before him when his brothers came into egypt he said you what you did to me you meant for evil but god meant it for good and so when bad things happen to us, we know that bad people want bad things to happen to us and we know that these things are going on. But what we also know is that God's in control and God can take what they meant for evil and use it for, for his good and for his glory. And we can say back and say, God, if that's what it takes, if, if, it, if it takes me going through a hard time so that you can receive glory, God, I will take that and I will do that and I will go through that willingly and gladly because I know you have my best interest in place. And so I'm not going to repay anyone for evil. But I'm going to give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. And if possible, as far as it depends, I'm going to live peaceably with all. And I'm not going to avenge myself, but I'm going to leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And so if my enemy is hungry, I'm going to feed him. If my enemy is thirsty, I'm going to give him a drink of water. If my enemy... is against me, I'm going to be kind and I'm going to be loving and I'm going to be patient and I'm not going to be overcome with evil, but I'm going to overcome evil with good. Christians who use their gifts that God has given them for the edification of the church are also available. Available. Let's look at that this morning. Verses 13 and 15. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Available Christians are available both physically and spiritually for their brothers and sisters. Right, Paul says here that we're to be available to the church, to contribute to the needs, to seek to show hospitality, right? Available to the church does not mean available to the church building, but available to the people who are sitting inside, right? And we all understand that this place, while it is a building, it is not the church. It is a church building. It is a church where the, the place where the church gathers. I love the old uh, terminology that says uh, meeting house. I've been a part of a couple of churches where when you, if you go back and you look a long time ago, it is the meeting house of this church. I mean, they understood something. They understood that the church was, this is where they, they, they gathered. And so what we ask here is we see here that Paul tells us that we're to be available to the church to contribute to their needs, to seek to show hospitality, and we're to rejoice and weep with our brothers and sisters. But so well, here's what the question is. How can we show hospitality? How can we rejoice and weep if we are not there? If we are not part of the local church, if we say, I don't need the church, the church is not something I want to be a part of, or I'm not going to go to church, how can we do what Scripture tells us to do, to show hospitality, to rejoice and to weep, if we're not there? Any of y'all, I'm going to show my age a little bit. I, I'm not really all that old, although I feel it the older I get. But I, any of y'all know the Kingdom Heirs? That's an that's old, old gospel group, uh, Bluegrass Gospel. Oh, good. I get to teach y'all a new song today. Like the, King, the Kingdom Heirs used to sing this song a long time ago, and I remember as a kid, my parents, they, they love Southern Gospel. Um, I tolerate it today, um, and 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 I. But this song stuck in my mind, and it was called "Excuses." And maybe you might have heard it. Maybe you just didn't know the group. But it, it, it says, "Excuses, excuses. You hear them every day. Now the devil he'll supply them if the church'll stay away. When people come to know the Lord, the devil always loses. So to keep them folks away from church, he offers them excuses. And y'all heard that song, man." That's, a, that, that's wonderful because th- there's not very many times I get to go to church where people haven't heard that, right? And, and, and so he goes in and the, they, the, the singer of the song goes on and he begins to list all the excuses that, they, that the devil gives, right? In the summertime, it's too hot. In the wintertime, it's too cold. In the springtime, when the weather's just right, they find someplace else to go. Um, he says, whether it's up to the mountains or down the beach or to visit some old friend or just kind of stay home and relax and hope some of the kin folks start dropping in. Well, the church pews are too hard or maybe they're too soft. Uh, you know, whether the, it's the, the air conditioner's too cold or it's too hot. You know, he, he lists everything that goes on. And, and then he goes on to say, he says, look, even the doctor says, like you got to stay away from crowds because those crowds will do you in, right? And, and that, that just brought on new meaning for me, especially two years ago when COVID showed up. Like, like, COVID has done a lot of good things for the church. And you're like, really? Done a lot of good things for the church? Well, yeah. It's forced a lot of our churches to, to, to kind of come up with the times. There are more churches live streaming on Facebook and, and Instagram and YouTube TV and all these other things. And, and so the, the churches have, have figured out ways how they can actually get to, their, to some of their, their members who can't show up. And so it's been a very good thing for our churches in some regards, but in, in other regards, it's also been very challenging because sometimes as individuals, we've become very complacent or sometimes we've romanticized our online services. Oh, I love online services. Now, this is the part where I want, I don't want you all, I want you all to, to not think about people outside the church. Okay? Very easy to point our fingers here and say, look at all them people that stay at home and watch services from there. Those are good things especially if they're never attending church somewhere else. Online services are doing a good job of reaching people and helping draw people back into the church. But it should never be romanticized to the, to the point to where we say, well, I can just sit at home and I cannot participate and I can just watch online and I can sit in my pajamas and I can drink my coffee or my tea or whatever it is that I'm going to do and, and I can be at home and I don't have to go through all these uh, steps and that's what some people have done. They've romanticized being able to sit at home. And, 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 and yet, what we don't understand is that that is not how the church was designed to function. We're not designed to function at home by ourselves. Right? How are we to, 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 to be able to seek? and show hospitality? How can we rejoice with those who rejoice? How can we weep with those who weep? If we're always at home, like I get it, if you're sick and you can't be at church, stay at home. You got COVID, stay at home. Don't bring it here and share it with everybody none of us wants it. But when, we, when we're able to come up and be here, when we're able to gather together, when we're able to rejoice and love one another, right? How, how, do, we, how do we fulfill what Paul says in Philippians, right? Philippians 2. He says, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. And so let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Church, how do we look for the interest of others and to those who are within the church if we're not connecting with them on a regular basis, face-to-face and in person? Can we? Can we love one another? Can we rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep if we decide that we're going to stay segregated and apart from one another and stay, stay in our homes and in our pajamas because it's more comfortable and easier for me? How is staying at home, how is not coming to church, how is not sacrificing your time and efforts putting others, right? How is that putting others' interest above our own? In reality, when we stay at home, when we decide that we don't want to be a part of a local church, when we don't want to be a part of a church and and, and serving one another, we're doing the reverse of verse 3 there in Philippians. We're not doing anything, from, we're doing anything from selfish ambition or conceit or, and, or in humility counting others more significant than ourselves. Right? We're saying, no, my time, my effort, my energy is more important and so I'm just going to stay at the house. And I'm not going to be able to go and make myself available. I'm not going to make myself available to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. Christians who use the gifts that God has given them for the building up of the church are also teachable. Bear with me just a couple more minutes here. They're teachable. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. In other words, what Paul is telling them is don't be arrogant. Be humble. Have a teachable spirit. Continue to learn. Never think that you figured it all out. I've been a Christian for probably just over 38 years. I was saved when I was very young. I was almost six years old. And I've been in church ministry for the last 20 years. I started teaching youth. I started uh, Then I, I started teaching some college. I eventually led music. And then I went on to pastor a church. And, and so I, I have met some of the most kind, uh, loving, salt of the earth, most arrogant Christians. in my life. People who think that they know all there is to know about the Bible and all there is to know about God and Jesus. People who, who people like, like, like just like, well, I, I figured it out. I had a deacon tell me one time, you know, I've read the Bible once. Don't need to read it again. What? Yeah, i read it once. Like you've learned everything that you need to learn about God just by reading the Bible one time through? Like, I try to read the Bible through one time every single year, and I still, every time I read it, I still haven't learned everything. Uh, th- th- There's so much going on. I, I had a, a little old lady one time when we were trying to get them to be a part of discipleship groups and trying to get them to, to come and learn say, well, you know, I just don't need to be discipled. Why? Well, why would you not need to be discipled? disciple? Like, uh, have you learned everything in your 75 years of life that, that, that you need to, to, to be able to learn about God? I had a gentleman one time tell me that, that he was hoping that that in, in 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 heaven that you know there was going to be not going to be people there that he didn't really want to associate with. Like he's like I you know, I mean this guy would pray the most beautiful prayer at, at, at lunchtime to bless the food, and then he was like, yeah, I hope that these people of this particular ethnicity have their own section in heaven. What? Like how, how do you, I said, brother. How do you? How do you fix Revelation? Uh, you know, Revelation chapter five, when it says that all, t- all tongues, all tribes, all nations will be gathered around the throne, saying, "Worthy is the Lamb to receive power and glory and wealth and wisdom and might." Right? right? How do you? How do you take that? How do you understand that? He said, well, you know, hopefully God will change my mind or maybe He'll just give them their own section. I said, brother, if He gives them, the only people that get segregated in heaven are the sheep from the goats. Go read Revelation 9, right? The sheep are His. The goats get destroyed in eternal fire. I don't think you want to be segregated in heaven. This guy was numb to sin in his own life. So these people who, who said, I've learned everything there is to learn about God was really just numb to sin, and they didn't want to read Scripture anymore because when they read Scripture, what winds up happening is they find different areas in their life. I become more convicted more frequently the more I read Scripture. And so the tendency for us to do when we become convicted in our lives is to say, God, I don't want to read your Word anymore because, you know, the more I read it, the better. The, 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 the that's great English. I love, I'm glad my wife's not here today because she would, she would, she gets on me all the time. I I am definitely from Kentucky, y'all. So, uh, right, the more we read scripture, the worse we see that we really are. And the more we need Jesus. And so here's what I want to say, right? We cannot be numb to sin. Like if we think that we've learned all that we can learn about God, we don't need discipleship. That we don't need to study and learn from others. If we don't think that we need to learn from people who are older than us, people who are younger than us, people who are different than us, let me just tell you this. Let me just make this statement. If you really don't think you need to learn from other people, that you don't need to be disciple, that you've got it figured out, let me just tell you, tell you, your God is too small. Right? You, you don't have, there, there's, a, there's a misunderstanding as to who God is. Right, right, because, because here's the deal. The God that I serve is a God who is the maker of heaven and earth, who spoke the world into existence, who, who created everything, who knows everything that's going on, who is intimately involved in all of our lives. Not just some of our lives and not just part of our lives, but every single one of us. He knows exactly what's going on in your life, in my life, and the people outside of here. He is that big. And then when I go to spend eternity with Him in heaven because I place my faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I'm still going to be learning things about Him 10,000 years from now. And 10,000 years from that, I'll still be learning things about Him because He's that big and He's that good and He's that great and He's that awesome. And so if you don't think that you can spend just what a vapor of this life is, pouring your life into learning more about him, you are just pretty arrogant to say, God, I know enough about you and your God is too small. And so let me challenge you. right, let me challenge you to spend more than just an hour a week learning about God. Because if you can't spend just an hour a week Let me just ask you a very basic question. What do you think eternity is going to look like? Like, is that going to be exciting for you? Is it going to be exciting for you to go and spend eternity with God, learning about Him, praising and worshiping Him for all of eternity? You know, some people think that eternity is going to be like whatever your favorite thing to do here on this earth is, like riding a tractor or in a boat or on the golf course or fishing or something of that nature. you know, I'm not going to say those things aren't there. But what I will say is that a majority of our time is going to be spent praising and worshiping God and getting to know who He is and how great and how good He is. And we're, not, we're going to spend all of eternity. In, in, in a billion years, God is still going to be so big and so grand and so awesome. We're still going to be finding out things about Him, about the depths of His love and His grace and His mercy. And so church, as we close this morning, I want to ask you, are you a fat or a lean Christian? Are you using your gifts that has, God has given you to edify his body? Is there something that you are to be doing that you know that you've been disobedient, right? In God's will for your life, is God calling you to serve in some way within his church or within, within the body of believers so, so, that, so that he can receive honor and glory? If it is this morning, I just want to challenge you. God, just repent of that. Say, God, I, I'm sorry for being disobedient. God, I'm going to plug in. Maybe you're here and you know that, 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 that you need to become a follower. Maybe you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I'm sure there are people here that would love to, to talk with you about what it means uh, to, to, to follow Jesus Christ, to follow through with believers' baptism, to become a member here, to whatever it is. I would love for you to do that this morning as we close. Let's pray together. Father God, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity we have to worship together through the word. And Father, I pray that we're challenged by what is spoken here today. Father that we are fat Christians. Father that we are faithful to 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 you, to your word, to your scriptures. Father, Lord, that we're faithful in service. Father that we're faithful in our prayers, Father that we're that we're continually looking towards you. Father that we've made ourselves available not just to to our brothers and sisters, but to anyone who would come and to know you as Lord and Savior. Father, that we are no longer excuse-filled, finding reasons why we can't serve, but Father, looking for reasons why we can and why we should serve. And Father, may we be teachable may we be humble in our attitudes and how we learn and who we learn from. Father, that that there are people who come from different backgrounds, whether it's social or or economic or, or ethnic backgrounds who see things different than us and, Father, who bring different perspectives. But, Father, we are all trying to become more like you. And so, Father, help us to understand what it means to be a Christian in different aspects and different lights and, Lord, how we can serve and glorify you through the lens of your holy scripture. And, Father, may we... Father, continue to love you and to glorify you in all that we say and all that we do. It's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.